Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com slash voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm very glad that you could be here with me today on this episode of Voices in My Head. Today, we have a great guest. His name is Ben Passmore. He is a writer and artist. He's a, he's a comic book writer and artist, actually, and he has a great new book called Your Black Friend, which I want to discuss. And I need to give you um, a little warning just at the beginning today. It's, it's not necessarily a warning. It's just sort of to let you know the audio quality was not the greatest today. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was um, my connection here in Springfield, Ohio, or Ben's connection in New Orleans. Actually, he was in New York at the time, so who knows what sometimes happens with the Internet. Uh, but the call actually cut out a couple of times, and so I'm trying to piece together some things. So there are parts of the conversation that are very clear, and there are parts that sort of uh, come in and out. So uh, I want to apologize to Ben. I already have just to say because he deserves so much better audio quality. He has a lot of really good things to say and that we need to hear. Um, but anyway, just I wanted to make that disclaimer up front. I, I apologize. Uh, I, I did the best I could with the, the audio quality. I'm working with a new computer today, and I don't know what happened exactly. But with that being said, I'm on a new computer today and and, uh, working from home once again uh, where I had been at my office in the church. And and so today I'm back trying uh, with this new uh, computer in the old studio here in Voices in My Head studio in the basement of my home. And so I'm really glad to to be back in this space again. So what you're going to hear today is uh, is actually it was a really good conversation. And I just I felt bad because the connection kept going out and I didn't feel like I was at my best asking the questions. And um, there are times where where he cuts out in the middle of saying some really good stuff. But let me just uh, let you know that Ben is a great guy and I want to 
give my highest recommendation to his comic. It's called Your Black Friend. And Your Black Friend is an open letter from your black friend to you about race, racism, friendship, and alienation. And it is really worth your time. It's a short read. It's about 12 pages long. But there is so much to talk about, so much discussion to be had. And he does it in such an eloquent way. And he talks about on the podcast how he actually made this comic for a specific comic convention that was going on in Chicago and he's kind of amazed at how it's gotten so far reaching and I'm really excited to be able to have Ben on the show today. We had a good conversation and I'm excited for you to get to hear what he has to say but just in case you didn't get to hear everything he has to say because of audio quality problems please go out and support Ben. Uh, Go out and find whether it's in your local comic shop or whether you go online uh, it's it's a $5 comic, and it's worth $5. It's worth well more than that, I must say, just because of the conversations that can open up. Um, it's not a book that necessarily would be good for your next Bible study. Let me put it that way. Um, it's not... Uh, a book about faith or any of the conversations that sometimes we have. It is a book about real conversations about race and and things that are actually truly happening in our country and things that um, if if you are white, you have not ever thought about before. I guarantee you, unless you are a much more woke and informed person than I think most of my white friends often are. Um, And I put myself in that category as well. And so I really want us to continue this conversation, and I encourage you strongly to check out Your Black Friend. Um, It is well worth your time. I give it a a strong recommend, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Maybe on one of the the future programs, you could send me in some emails. As always, you can reach me uh, by email, rick at rickleyjames.com, or I'm on Twitter at rickleyjames or facebook.com slash rickleyjames. You know how to find me, rickleyjames.com. You've been listening for a while. Just look up Rick Lee James. Just don't confuse me with the other Rick James because that will take you to a completely different guy and he is actually not even alive anymore. So it's it's amazing he has more web presence than I do. Um, all right, well, that's it for now. I'm going to go uh, to a quick ad from our sponsor, and then we're going to get right into my conversation with Ben Passmore, author of Your Black Friend. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. For you, the listeners of Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Personally, I recommend The Hobbit Unabridged by J.R.R. Tolkien. Hours of fun listening to this great classic. And there are over 180,000 titles for you to choose from and to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head for your free audiobook. You're going to be glad you did. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head, and keep on listening. My guest this week on Voices in My Head is Ben Passmore. Ben is a unique talent. As he himself says, there aren't a lot of comics out there by black cartoonists doing stories about police abolition, sex addiction, struggles with radical utopian ideas, gentrification, and inherent classism in art, aesthetics, and sex addiction. And he's right. Ben first caught my attention a few months ago with his groundbreaking comic book, Your Black Friend. It's a sharp, informed social commentary on race and being black in America. 
this short 12-page comic is an open letter to white people on what it's like to be the black friend. It's brilliant, and I'm looking forward to talking with Ben about it today. Ben Passmore, welcome to Voices in My Head. Hey, thanks. I am uh, am such a fan of of your black friend, and I, I'll tell you a little bit about it, and I know I told you this in the email that I sent you initially, um, but the guys at my local comic shop in Yellow Springs, Ohio, Superfly Comics and Games, uh, I come in, and from time to time they'll say, hey, here's something you really need to check out. I think you're going to enjoy. And they handed me this comic, and uh, I thought, well, it looks good. And he said, uh, you'll have to know the thing about the store. The owner is white, and the manager of the store is black. And they both were reading the comic at the same time, <clears throat> and they both were loving it for completely different reasons. And uh, and the store owner, who is white, uh, said to the other one, he said, as he's reading it, he said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it was just like, even though they, <laughs> even though they had been, you know, best friends for the longest time, even still, they were matters that you bring up in, in this comic that I think are such important conversation starters. And I think it's so brilliant because it is hard and awkward often to have these conversations and you handle it with such a wit and, and honestly such a grace. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's a, a very unique thing that you've done here. So, so we're going to talk about it some today, but before I do, I'd love to just okay. kind of know a little bit about your own history in comics. Um, where did it start for you? Did you did you read comics growing up as a kid, and and where did you kind of come into this world? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been drawing comics um, probably for as long as I wanted to draw. Like I made um, '90s comics. Um, and, uh, I think the first comics I made were like horrible spawn ripoffs. Um, but yeah, I just read superhero comics until, um, I think when I got into high school, um, I started reading manga, like a Bachelor, battle angel Lita and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's like when like manga really started getting popular for, um, I don't know, for kids. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I went to, I went to, oh, sorry, I'm in, I don't know if you can hear that. I'm, I'm in New York for the weekend. So oh, okay. That's fine. Honking That's in right. the street. Um, <laughs> um, what was the thing? Oh, yeah, I went to college in uh, Savannah, Georgia uh, for, um, for comics and illustration. That's a really terrible idea. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. And what? When I got out of college, um, I wasn't really sure what to do for work, um, and I was trying to break into comics, um, but, uh, but you know, it's not super easy, so I just started self-publishing uh, mini-comics myself, and then, uh, you know, doing weird sci-fi punk comics, um, and, uh, and working working for people, you know, uh, half of the internet, like, even Craigslist. Uh, doing illustrations at first and uh, and doing comics for people. So yeah, I don't know. It's really only I really only uh, have convinced my mom that this is a real job in like the last two years. Probably. <laughs> wow. 
That's pretty amazing. So you said even Craigslist was a place. Now, did you did you find people on there that were looking for cartoonists for hire, or or what was that like with Craigslist? Like, uh, oh, can someone drive, or can someone draw my Camaro? You know what I mean, and put like hot ladies on it. Oh, okay. There wasn't there wasn't as many comics on Craigslist. Yeah, there was, okay. um, I don't know. I don't even know if they still exist. It's been a bunch of years, but there were all these forums that people used to post on. Uh, what is it like drawingboard.com? That was one um, that people used to uh, post ads for artists. Interesting. Um, like people that were like, there was one. There was one guy I started to collaborate with. What is it? Oh, his name is B. Claymore, and he was working in comics for a while, but it was mostly people that were trying to break in that were, uh, uh, you know, like lawyers or, you know, had some sort of real job. Sure. Um, so they had money to pay, pay an artist on the internet. Wow. That's cool. So it's a, it's a weird, yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it's a weird way to start out. And you just did it. And, and, you know, the thing that so many people do, I think incorrectly is, they wait and wait and wait, thinking the opportunity will eventually come. And what you're doing is, and, and have done is you just started doing it yourself, which is always the best idea. You know, don't wait for the opportunity to come. You make the own, you make your own opportunities in some ways just by doing something. And uh, and so I, I love that you've kind of cut your own uh, niche out in, in the way that you're doing things at this point, and you're starting to, to receive uh, notice for that so that's a, that's very commendable now i i want to ask a question mm, yeah. that that may seem it may not seem like it connects at first but i think it it connects very strongly um to your black friend um you said that you grew up reading superhero comics and i still read superhero comics yeah you know, pro probably people think hey it's time for you to grow up rick you're almost 40 you need to you know <laughs> read some new things and i do read other than <laughs> i read i read real books but you know the superhero comics are still kind of fun but i'll tell you one thing that mm -hmm. that that i never thought about growing up and you probably felt it very acutely in some ways i always saw heroes that looked like me because i'm a white person and i would guess that mm -hmm. you had a harder time finding heroes that looked like you as you were reading and finding in those pages. And it's something that until, I don't know, probably in the last 10 years, I never really thought that much about. But as my my world has expanded <clears> and as <throat> I've had more and more conversations, I, I'm just curious as to what it was like for you and maybe what superheroes you gravitated towards. Uh, were what, Just maybe share some of your experience in that. Uh-huh. Um, well, I think, I don't know, there's this, um, I guess at least for me, I, I didn't assume that there would be, <clears throat> like, characters created that, um, you know, particularly in superhero comics, that, um, that would be, like, characters that I would be able to, like, directly identify with, um, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I think, you know, when the world isn't, like, making an effort to sort of, like, reflect you in some way, you sort of just, like, make do um, or you transpose identities onto characters. Like, 
like for instance i was really into venom and obviously venom is white but in my head because you know his symbiote like is all basically on him all the time i was like nah you know venom's black um yeah but uh i i think one of the reasons that, one of the reasons i really like spawn was because spawn was black hmm like a starch collar you know there wasn't like a that wasn't his character, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, sure. a, like this weird, weird sort of like disco guy, like like uh, like <laughs> Power Man was at the time. You right. Know what I mean? With his, um. So so I I like that. I like that he was uh that he had a lot going on. That it was like a weird a cult or like a weird demon, but yeah. uh, he just he happened to be black. Even though there's no way to tell, you know what I mean? Unless it's a flashback. Um. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's true, <laughs> particularly yeah. there was not much to work with. I I think I read, uh, I read a, a few Milestone comics, um, to, you know, like, yes and stuff. Those were cool, but, you know, I, I grew up in the country, um, and, you know, I'm, I have, uh, I have a white parent, I have a black parent, so, you know, like, Milestone was cool, but it also didn't. You know, it was more centered around urban blackness, um, and uh, and that wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't my experience either. Right. Well, and and that's that's another thing that's interesting too, because we want to so often, I think, just in human nature, we want to paint everybody with a broad brush, you know, and and we'll say, well, this is your experience, and and mm-hmm. and and I and I think that's a, a very difficult thing to tread. It's. It's just no, I mean, there's no questioning that the world seems to pander um, to, to white people a lot, you know, like it's, it's on television, it's it's in radio ads, it's on comics, and it's just sort of this, this world that has, um, you know, because I've grown up white, I haven't thought about it a whole lot. Um, and yet the more that I, the, the the more that I reflect on it and the more that I have conversation with friends who, who are not white, I see more all the time how strange that must be and, and what a, an interesting way of, of looking at Mm -hmm. the world. And so when I started reading your black friend, and if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to take just a couple panels and kind of read a couple things and have you do some comment on it. Because it really is mm-hmm. sort of this beautiful open letter, and and it could very well be like like angry and and um, something that you know comes out of a, a rage filled type thing. But I don't sense that on the page. I honestly feel like <laughs> I honestly felt like when I read it, it was like, okay, here's what you need to know in the most loving way that I can possibly tell it with some humor, you know, along the way because you're just not seeing mm-hmm. it. You know, and I really appreciated about that, and I think it helps mm-hmm. the dialogue. Um, one of the pages that I want to get to, and just so so listeners, if they haven't had a chance to to read this comic yet, um, the comic is sort of like uh, your black friend wants to tell you this, and wants to tell you he doesn't know how to bring it up. But uh, I'll just read a couple panels real quick and let you do some comment on it. Uh, your black friend wonders if you know that unlike you, he has to constantly monitor his speech, dress, and affect relative to his environment, and a misreading could mean the difference between being the black friend and that black guy. 
Um, I wonder if you could comment on that just a second, because I think that's something that has so often escaped my attention. I don't have to think about all the time uh, my my speech and the way I talk. Uh, talk to us just a second about about that, because I know that was like a huge revelation when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I mean, I guess in in my own life, um, it's uh, like, what is it? I've found that, um, like, my ability, for instance, for work, like getting like getting work or or doing things professionally, I'm uh, I'm interacting almost exclusively with men um, and people, sort of feelings about like my competency or how comfortable they feel with me, which often equates with my ability to work with them has to do with like my, like my ability to like code switch. Um, and, uh, and I guess by code switch, I mean, um, you know, like changing my voice or, or affect or, you know, the sort of things I refer to, um, towards something that is more like, uh, uh, like culturally white, um, which is a, I don't know, which is the thing that, that all, all people of color I know do, um, because of how I grew up. Hmm. Um, I think I have an easier time doing it, you know what I mean? Than other people. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's also, I don't know. There's also this dynamic that, that, you know, like, um, that there's sort of, uh, what is it like all black people for a lot of white people, particularly white people that don't interact with black people that much. There's like a, sort of this generalized um, sort of projected view of, of black people and like how they mm-hmm. talk and what their culture is. Um, and that, I don't know, that comes with for people that are, that are, um, I don't know, that are scared of, scared of black people. Um, there's, yeah, there's like assumptions made and you can, uh, I, I particularly as a black person, unintentionally play into those things. Sure. Um, and because there's like, you know, there's depending on where you live, you know what I mean? There's, um, uh, there's like fallout from that or whatever it affects you. You know what I mean? Like you do have, well, this is where we had our first big technical glitch and I lost Ben and then had to bring him back in and, um, we didn't actually lose the call completely, uh, so I was able to bring him back, but it was difficult, and so you'll notice that where he was talking and where he starts up again isn't the exact same spot. Just wanted to let you know that's what happened there. Again, I'm so sorry for all these interruptions. Uh, you know, In the meantime, I don't know, buy one of my albums or something. Okay, all right, getting back to the show now. Thanks. That's all good. Um, well, yeah, I guess I thought I'm, I'm like the... I don't know, like, I think that people that don't interact with black people, but just sort of white culture itself has, um, like, a really confined view of blackness um, or black people. And, you know, what is it? There's, there's a, you know, in American culture, there's sort of, like, an inherent white supremacy, um, which views black people as, you know, like, wild, but... And, you know, dangerous, but in these, these, like, very specific ways, like, I think the general, like, if you talk to, you know, uh, a a 15-year-old white kid in, in, like, Canaan, Connecticut, you know what I mean? His view of black Mm -hmm. in his town 
um, you know, as black people are like urban and loud and aggressive. Um, and it's, you know, like, you know, black people that never interact with white people, they have their own sort of like, like very confined view of, of white people, but there's very little danger. You know, white people, I think, are very unaware of it because there's no, um, there's no, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't confine them at all in the way that it does with black people. Um, so I think black people are in this, in this weird situation where there is a lot of self monitoring, um, yeah. uh, either, well, you know, it's like, I don't know if you live in a, in a, in a city, maybe where you interact with white people that much, you don't have to do it as much, you know what I mean? But I think everyone has to do it a little, I mean, even if it has to do with the police and even if it's just black police, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, because still kind of, um, you know, like codes of conduct are still um, skewed towards sort of like uh, like white supremacist presentations. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying on that. I, I and it's it's interesting to me because I again I don't think that I um, have ever faced something like that. You know, trying to change my voice to make it sound a different way. The, the most I can relate to is I used to live down south and I live in the north now and so I used to have a southern accent and I would and so it comes and goes but other than that I can't you know relate to act to happen to consciously do that all the time <laughs> but you know I think about right th there is a real double standard um, and I, let's if, if we think in like a big national scale and and one thing that you comment on in your book you say your black friend feels like a man without a country and I I think that's a, a very concise way of probably putting it and I think about the way that uh, say when President Obama was in office and you know he was a person that um, I, I don't know how else to say it than he he talked in such a way that I, I think he must have probably been constantly watching for that too I think he was so careful in the way that he would make statements you know because he had so much pressure on him not only to just be president but he has to also be the black president and so everything he says mm -hmm. has to be through also this lens where everybody's looking at him for wait what's he going to say now and i think like such a double standard because i mean trump will say some of the most crazy things you know that are just like unbelievably awful right. and 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 people are like that that would just jump on Obama immediately would would right. be like like my goodness you know like like think of the double standards that they're things that if Obama would have said that he would have been crucified immediately um, but because it's a, mm -hmm. a person who's white they they gets a pass so many times now now thankfully not as many people are giving him a pass as once were <laughs> at this point. But I do think that's sort of mm -hmm. a, a national, you know, big picture look at maybe some of the problem when you're talking about things like that. Um, now I yeah yeah yeah, it's I, funny. Um, I I'm curious. Uh, I have 
and and again, I'm I'm feel weird because uh, I just read the book, and you talk about you know white friends that are always trying to tell you about black authors to read, you know, <laughs> things like that on one of the pages. Um, so so at right. risk at risk of being someone like that this morning, I but I'm curious because I think he adds something to this conversation that's not dissimilar to what you've brought about in your comic. Uh, have you ever read any books by he, he's actually a black theologian named James Cone before? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, well, the the reason that I that I bring up Cone this morning is he's done a lot of work. Um, he his latest book he's probably been doing uh, writing since the fifties at least I would say, and uh, I, over the last few years I've started reading him. And he has a very interesting book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And he talks about a way that, you know, in this nation, um, a lot of us who are white don't have any comprehension of what it means to, like, uh, have the black experience of living in fear, of having uh, lived and grown up in a country that not too long ago was still doing lynchings even in the north you know and so you have this um this mm -hmm. completely different story and he has an interesting observation in his book he actually talks about uh the terrorist attacks of 9-11 that happened in new york and he makes a connection and he says um that, mm -hmm. that was he said uh the terror of 9-11 affected all of us whites blacks everyone but it seems that many whites, in a very real sense, experience for perhaps the first time what it means to be exposed to arbitrary violence about which you can do nothing. And, mm. he, said, and he, mm -hmm. says, he says that's terrible. Right. And it said it didn't have so much to do with the number right. of people who were killed on 9-11, um, but with the experience of arbitrary violence because that's so shattering. And I again, I hadn't thought of it in that way before. And the idea that um, for for many people in this country, they do live in a state of you know maybe a, a place of fear of arbitrary violence for no other reason than just skin color, and there really is not a good reason other than that. <laughs> and um, and I, I I felt like it resonated with some of the things you were writing about um, in your book as well, which is why I brought it up this morning. And I I just think you have such a special way of blending. Um, not only the words, but the pictures along with the words in a way that, that describes the narrative. And there's even a part in your book where you say, uh, your black friend would like to forget all his fears and frustrations around race, but it's always impossible. And you have this great picture of a cop driving by, and the person in the comic is waving at the cop, and then and then the police car goes whoop, whoop, <laughs> right at that point. <laughs> and, right. And I... I, I wonder if you could just maybe elaborate a little bit on, on that experience as well, because uh, my other friends who are black have told me of that experience of, of, you know, being pulled over at times, not really knowing why, or having the police car go off. Is is that something that happens a lot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens to me. Well, I don't, I don't own a car anymore, um, <laughs> so it doesn't happen as often. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and sort of just going back to to talking about, you know, maybe white people experiencing arbitrary violence for the first time. It's funny because it's also, you know, unless you were um, like around the towers or in them, you know, what I mean, it's not even like it's not even nearly as close as like 
um, you know, the generations of violence. Sure. But it, yeah, I don't that uh, that are black people, you know, experience like slavery, Jim Crow, um, and, and you know, sort of, and sort of, and sort of now. Um, yeah. And it's it's interesting. I have a you know like I was having a conversation with a friend of with a friend of mine in Philly um, who does hip hop, and he, and we were just sort of talking about you know sort of the, the even the unseen effects of uh, generations of anxiety um, around poverty, uh, um, around you know sort of like the experiences of, uh, of Black people um, disproportionately be disproportionately be affected by even things like you know, poor drainage in our neighborhoods, um, food deserts, um, poor education. And that there's this sort of this, this thing it's, it's, which I consider violence too, you know, it's not accidents, um, that's happens. Like I remember living in Savannah, Georgia and finding out that black people still lived in the swampy parts of the city that they were only allowed to live in, um, you know, after emancipation. Um, you know, it's the least desirable neighborhoods to live in. Um, but, um, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, yeah, like, uh, getting pulled over by the cops. I, (laughs) the, um, I, I often, you know, uh, I think I often, when talking about the police, will, will bring up that, um, that I've had a gun pulled on me, I think six times in my life. And, uh, no, four times it's been the police. Um, wow. And, and, uh, and, yeah, it's, um, I think that, like, one of the, the funnier moments, or, like, one of the more obvious moments was, um, was, uh, was also in Savannah. Um, I started to, I started to notice that if I had, like, a white lady in my car, I would get, I would get more attention from the police. And, uh, the police pulled me over, I think it was, noon or maybe it was it was the late afternoon but it was sunny out and they pulled me over um but the reason for they said the reason for pulling me over was that my license plate lights were out um which (laughs) which they weren't um they worked but uh also they they probably weren't working because it was it was broad daylight out oh my goodness but uh yeah yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the 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 panel itself has, you know, is you know definitely referring to dealing with the police, but also it's just you know more of a reference. To, yeah, sort of like, yeah, just sort of the constant monitoring that happens. Um. Yeah. 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 I mean. It was it was definitely an effort to to try the whole comic, you know, like he said, was definitely an effort to try and clarify and highlight, um, you know, as as much as possible, sort of like general realities for you know in the black experience. Because I, you know, I I do think that there are a lot of people that I re- I think I realized that there was a lot of lack of understanding that was making the conversations a lot harder, or just like you know like. Um, I had, I was having a a conversation with my friend who's Turkish and I was like, uh, I was like, like, you know, do you experience, um, sort of like a sense of anxiety when you're in a black space and a white man walks in 
Um, and I was sort of saying this is just sort of this weird thing that I couldn't explain. She was like, yeah, you know what I mean? And we we're sort of talking about that. And I was like, you know, I don't even think, you know, I know, you know, and it's part of white privilege that that, that man doesn't know that that happened, that, right. the, that the room will shift often, mm-hmm. you know, because I think the narrative about walking into particularly black spaces for white people that are like, oh, black people are super strong. That's not for me. Um, and, you know, black people are really strong <laughs> and they are uh, often, you know, unconcerned. But, you know, the presence of whiteness is constantly affecting black spaces. Sure. Yeah. No, that's well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think your comic does. And I think this is so unique and this is maybe one of the, the true gifts that you have um, is I think you're helping us to have these difficult conversations, which is so important. Um, I I think a lot of us want to be um, want to be people who don't have that black friend, you know. And I think a lot of us want to be people who um, mm-hmm. are not are not perpetuating you know racial stereotypes and are not perpetuating more of the problem. And what you do so well in the book is you make the conversation possible. I think. And its brilliance is that it is concise. You could sit down and read it in just a few minutes, but there is so much to talk about based on that. And, you know, I could I could see so many good conversations for people who were willing and open to have honest discussion um, about life in America for a person who is not white. I think that there is so much here uh, to chew on and to talk about, to debate. I mean, it's 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 something that is so unique in that. And um, I'm just curious, what are uh, what are reviews like that are coming in for the book? Are you getting some some good solid feedback from from critics and, and the like? Um, <laughs> you know, I think that um, since Trump's election. Um, you know, comics is trying to find its, you know, trying to find its place, um, just in terms of like, whether it, it will like reinforce, you know, like the government's being like pretty overtly xenophobic. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. There's like, there's like a lot of white guilt sort of pervasive in indie comics. So there, so there's not a lot of people that, that I think want to come out and critique the comic. Um, so, it's, you know, it's like positive reviews. I mean, it's also possible that, that the comic is flawless, um, but it, I don't think it, <laughs> it is. Um, just, sort of, just sort of on social media, um, there's been, I guess what's been the most interesting for me is not, not been critics writing about the comic, but it's been, um, you know, uh, different types of black people coming up to me personally or messaging me on like Tumblr or Twitter or something, um, and, uh, and expressing their opinion about it. And there's a lot of people, you know, um, who are coming from blackness, I think in the same way as me, you know, I was, um, particularly in the last, like, uh, what is it? Like the last eight years I've been really engaged in, in like New Orleans, like, punk scene and uh and radical anarchist scene and that scene is really really white um so like a lot of a lot of black people who feel like they are uh like residing in a mostly like white subculture or feel like 
or maybe aren't, but don't feel like a, a what is it like a like a typical black person. Um, you know, like whatever, maybe the personal culture they like is, is unconventional. Um, they have been saying, you know, particularly this, this idea that, that, uh, that a black person feels sort of lost in this in-between space between whiteness and blackness. Um, Hey, and that is one of the places where I lost Ben. So uh, the conversation cuts out for just a second, and then I'm going to bring Ben back in, kind of uh, in the middle of what he was saying. Again, sorry about that. Did the best I could with the uh, audio quality this time. So here we go, part two in the conversation with Ben Passmore. Um, I guess I was saying that that there is um that there you know there is a range of opinions in the in the other black people I talked to about the comic, just about whether or not it resonates. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, people that are coming at blackness in the way that I am, um, that I think uh, sort of feel like they are black in unconventional ways, um, and also probably chill in, um, in more predominantly white spaces for various reasons, I think are feeling, you know, feel the book the hardest. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple people that I know that, you know, don't really interact with white people that much, maybe just, you know, professionally, mm-hmm. I think feel, you know, feel like it resonates the least, but I mean, there's also this other thing where, you know, I, you know, there's been a bunch of people, um, that I've talked to who, you know, felt like things that the bring book, the things that the book brings up were just personal problems that they had um, and that it wasn't sort of this general thing. And then also there's, there's this expectation, um, you know, generally of black people to be, you know, very stoic and to be very resilient. Um, And I think, you know, coming from both the white and black community, I think that we're expected to put up with things um, or to not complain or to sort of acknowledge you know, feelings of dis like dysphoria or frustration around race um, is is to feel weak. Hmm. Um, so that is, you know, that's also part of the conversation around the book. You know, I think there's some people who feel, you know, edified by other people who are like, yeah, you know, yeah, then like we know, but you know, like you're not really supposed to talk about talk about it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I, you know, I understand, you know, both, you know, I, it was, it was definitely nerve wracking to make the comic. Um, and, uh, I actually made the comic just to sell at one Chicago comics festival. I never really expected for it to reach as far as it did. Um, (laughs) so so that's been in the back of my mind too. You know, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. it's, It's crazy to have something that I, you know, just sort of like made real quickly, um, you know, become, become this big thing. Yeah. Or bigger than I expected. Yeah. Well, I want to say well done on that. And I I think it'll, you know, good things end up tending to rise to the top at given time. You know, I, I think, I think it may actually, (laughs) I, I honestly, I think it may end up being something that is much more far reaching than you even know. And, and I, I'm just so glad that you, um, 
took the time and actually did it uh, in spite of fears you may have had about it and and there's some uh there's some courageous and good conversations to come from it i think ahead well i i want to apologize yeah, I hope uh, so. uh, again one more time for the bad connection and i don't know if it's on my end or or your end but it's it's been choppy on and off today and you deserve so much better than that and i apologize um but thank you so much for <laughs> oh, thank you so much for taking the time today and i i know you've got a busy schedule and i i can't tell you what it means to me uh to have you on here today and i wish you all the best and i'm looking forward to seeing more from you in the coming days well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for asking me. And uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to read more about sort of things in this genre, I regularly contribute to the nib.com uh, um, and uh, talk more about, you know, societal racism uh, and also things that are not about societal racism. All right. And so that was, say it one more time, the nib.com. Yeah, yeah, the nib.com, uh, and you can, uh, it's, many people contribute to it, um, so you could just search for Ben Bathmore, and uh, my comics will come up. Fantastic. Well, Ben, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.